complicated and fascinating world that invites us to dive deep into its intricacies. Exploring the ideas and events that excite, intrigue, irritate, and confound us is how we graduate our knowledge beyond meme culture. Join us over a cocktail as we expand our understanding and share in the beauty we find along the way. I'm Stephen Torna. I'm Kat Dwyer. And I'm Stephen Henning. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. One time I was on this road trip with a friend and we both and and our we had like um I hate Siri, but we had Siri going and telling us directions. And uh, after like an hour, we were like, is Siri, is she changing her accent? Like one minute she sounds Australian and the next she sounds like an American English accent. Like what the hell is going on? And then we realized that we both had it going oh, on each of our voices. devices and we had and mine was just normal American yeah. English and his was like had an Australian accent and anyway, uh, it was quite funny. Nice. But for like nice. an hour we were like, what the hell is <laughs> this? It's just is glitching. Just changing. <laughs> well, multiple personalities that... in this phone. Exactly. <laughs> no, what's crazy about it is whatever voice you have it set in, it can be sensitive to how you say things. Because I had really? my series set for an Australian accent and I remember I was I think it might have been we might have been in Portland uh and we wanted to find coffee shops so I was like hey Siri uh find coffee shop nearby and it kept being like I'm hey Siri we should have expected hey, that we should have looking for that. it's looking for <laughs> looking for coffee shops but so uh, it kept being like sorry I can't find it any contact for Kathy Sharp. And I was like, wow. no, coffee shop. And it's like, Kathy Sharp. <laughs> and uh, so you have to like say it with an accent. So I was like, hey, Siri, find me coffee shops nearby or whatever. That's more British, but you get the point. It's like a yeah. little cockney in there, yeah. too. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Accents are hard, man. Accent. Oh, hey, hey, cat. Yes. I'm, cu- I'm curious. What has been your experience of the Montanan accent since you've moved? Oh, I have not noticed one at Uh, all. I'm told. I don't, I don't know if I hear it in myself, but I, I can, I can hear it in like lifelong Montanans that our, our neck of the woods, our, our area of the country accentuates ours way harder than the rest of the country. Like we dwell on that R sound. So I I don't know. I I just didn't know. Like an example. Do you have an example of that? Uh, uh, probably not. It's it's literally just like dwelling on our sounds. Like car, yeah. I don't know if I've ever noticed that. But you know, I haven't talked to too many like for a long time. Like true blue. That's fair. Montanans that are from. It's like we live in Bozeman or something. Yeah, (laughs) I know. I do work with a gal from Minnesota, and she pronounces vague bag. Bag. And every time she says. Vag. What? I'm like, what are you talking? It <laughs> makes me laugh. What, what are you trying Why to are communicate? You talking about this in the workplace? I can <laughs> file. Well, she'll be like, I think if we just keep it vag, it'll be okay. And I'm like, yeeks. Oh, that's bad. That's not great. <laughs> okay. It's funny. All right. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She's very bright, very good at her job, but that's how she pronounces vague. I've found in my life since moving to Montana and just kind of growing up through high school. I don't know if it's our proximity to Canada or something, but a lot of the time I accidentally say about like a boat <laughs> <laughs> about. Yeah. Like I yeah. get that weird 
yeah, I get that weird Canadian twang on it. I, don't get me wrong. I find it absolutely charming, and I love that I hear myself do it. It's just weird. I find it goofy. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Accents are goofy, though. Like, at just, is, I don't know. <laughs> is there, do you guys feel like you hear California accents? Maybe not so much with me, but just, is there a stereotype of that? Yeah, Californians are more in their dialect, like the way they structure their sentences, I feel like. Oh, huh, yeah. Versus, versus like, versus an accent. Certainly our know. slang. We have obnoxious slang. Yeah, Hello. especially San Francisco. <laughs> oh, you, San you guys Francisco started that? Slang. Oh, yeah, that came from the Bay Area, ah. big time. Hella. It's hella sick. Hella sick. Absolutely. Nice. Wow, <laughs> man. Yeah, that made quite the... Quite the sweep the, around the country at one point, it sure, right? It sure did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this evening, we are slurping down some Tom Collins. Slurping is the exact opposite of a classy word. But this is like, <laughs> it's not, you know, when, when y'all actually see the picture, it's not like a dainty cocktail. It's in a, it's in mm-hmm. a Collins glass. It's like a highball glass and no straws, you know, you just, you just slurp. It's like a good old fashioned turn of the 20th century functioning alcoholics beverage of choice, I'd say. Um, specifically in the ultimate bar book, the comprehensive guide by Mitty Helmich. They say the Tom Collins, the epitome of 1950 suburbia. This classic drink was actually wow. created in the mid-1800s by John wow. Collins, barman at Limmer's Hotel in London, as a variation of his Holland gin-based John Collins cocktail. The original drink was named after the slightly sweet Old Tom Gin, as opposed to the later version made with London Dry Gin, uh, which became much more popular, catching on here after World War I, vets brought it back home to America. It's just two ounces of gin, an ounce of lemon, a little bit of simple syrup, and some club soda. Honestly, it's a heck of a lot like a French 75. Without the champagne float. Yeah. And so instead of champagne, you just put club soda in it. Yeah. But it's it's nice. It's great. The poor man's French 75. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Because you already know we're not drinking real champagne. (laughs) Yeah. Fair. Fair. Very fair. And you've garnished it with lemon peel, and lemon then it peel, looks like a nice, um, like what a, type of cherry Put a that? Luxardo maraschino cherry in nice. there. Also mm. put some lemon peel. You can throw anything you want in this drink, I'm pretty sure. Mint would maybe Ooh, be good. yeah. Be like julepy. Yeah. There's a bunch of variations. There's one called a Tex Collins, apparently. Basically use grapefruit and honey. That sounds, wow. Yeah, it sounds really good. It sounds like this drink Collins. is just like a reliable canvas on which to paint your masterpiece cocktail. Yeah. That's uh, just what gin is, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. This is gin, fair. And this is gin, fair. Basically, yeah. you, you take gin and you take lemon and you can add anything to it and it'll be delicious. Yep. What gives it this um, sort it. of slight pink hue at the bottom of the glass? Is that just from That's the cherry? That's just from the cherry. I, oh, beautiful. I just put like the syrup in there and everything. Yeah, it's nice. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying a good finger of... I'm drinking Laphroaig 10 tonight because I'm going to be honest, Ooh. I did not have time to buy another bottle of Lagavulin yet. 
I heard I'm in, the G in there. Yeah, I did. I'm in on this Lafroig. <laughs> Yo. Lafroig is, yeah, it's hella G. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, that feels almost offensive. I shouldn't say that anymore. But yeah, I'm in on this Lafroig 10, the peatiest drink that the world has ever offered us. And surprise, like, I'm willing to say that, though I thought Lagavulin until recently was that thing the most peaty scotch but Lefroy is definitely taking the cake on that one been there drunk that Torna I'm ready to hear about some recipes of like a like a blended scotch uh cocktail recipe I bring some can make that happen so I probably like episode three or something mentioned the Tom Collins I specifically recall saying Mm. don't worry it'll be featured and lo and behold here we are. I have delivered. Look at look at that. We're just foreshadowing. A man of his now. word. A man Absolutely. of my word. <laughs> so now I must make another promise. I will do a blended scotch cocktail. There are a few. There's one called Blood and Sand, which is pretty good. There's the penicillin, which is my personal favorite. I will definitely be making a penicillin. There's a bunch of variations. There's a Manhattan that you can make with scotch instead of rye. I'm sure I can come up with some other stuff. I, the only reason I say blended is it, it seems like it's an insult to a good single malt to mix it in yes. something. You, yes. Like, does that, does that track with you? Does that bias track? Like, you put a blended in a cocktail, you keep a single either neat the or on the rocks. The thing is, is it's just, it's, you can't necessarily get all those complex flavors out of your scotch when you start mixing it with lemon and sugar and all sorts of stuff. Right. Yeah. So that's the reason why. The other reason is it just gets expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it really does. And, and that's, my, that's fair. <laughs> I, I, Manhattan's, things like that, which are pretty much you're drinking it because you get the flavor of the scot or the, the liquor. I use my nice expensive rye because it's worth it. But a lot of cocktails, yeah, use a $30 bottle of blended scotch or something. They make cheaper blended scotch, but uh, man, don't I'm go. Such a, <laughs> I don't know. Don't go less than thirty for a blended. Uh, if it yeah. comes in a plastic bottle, I generally don't buy it. It's <laughs> ah. probably a decent rule of thumb. <laughs> this, yeah, that's a good. That's a good rule for you a don't home get the bar. Plastic, I feel like the plastic handles. Only now and again, <laughs> when for, out. <laughs> for like parties, gotten some big jugs of. Whiskey and stuff like that. It's like a seven dollar bottle of whiskey. Something's up. Mm. That's mm. some like caramel colored Everclear. There's <laughs> oh, not <yes>. right. <laughs> Canadian yeah. Mist. Oh yes. I had a friend who brought a plastic like how many ounces was it? Bigger than a flask, but basically flask size plastic bottle of Canadian Mist, and it ha- literally has like a handhold like imprint in it. <laughs> and we were joking that it's like what? the bums. Yeah bottle of whiskey it's like made for just like having on the go yeah yeah it's a traveler he got sick after drinking the whole thing so (laughs) i wouldn't recommend it uh yeah who was i talking to recently (laughs) that non-ironically was saying that their go-to favorite was canadian mist oh no (laughs) definitely wasn't one of my friends what wow it's like someone i randomly met oh okay 
I thought you were just going to put someone on blast just now. Like, we were friends, and then you told me this, and now I think... No, no, no. Now I hate him. I think so little of you now. (laughs) No, I would would try and help those people. Right. (laughs) Just, like, slowly and gently show them the light. Like, come this way. I have Tom Collins. (laughs) Yeah. Be like, oh, you like Canadian Mist. Have you tried... Anything else? (laughs) Yeah, anything else. (laughs) Big one up. There you go. Maker's Mark, maybe? What's your opinion of Maker's Mark? I hear Uh, mixed reviews. It's a great bourbon. It's great for cocktails. However, I think it's a little expensive for what it is. At least in Montana. It's like $50 for a a, a, a fifth. Hmm. And... There's much better bourbon in that price range. That's fair. So. But you get the cool, drippy red wax seal on it, though. True. Right? I mean... That's... that's I, I don't think... I think it's a plastic cap that looks like wax. That's Just, fair, but honestly, the, the <laughs> price of the bottle is... Quite honestly, Torna, it's probably just really good branding and marketing. Yeah. So that people recognize the red... Maybe wax, maybe plastic, and associate it with Maker's Mark. And like now you're paying for the brand and not just paying for the whiskey inside or the bourbon inside. Yeah, there's a there's a bottle of whiskey. I think it's the Weller's pot still. Comes in the most beautiful bottle. And I wanna get I wanna get one. It's like a I think it might be an eighty five dollar bottle of bourbon or something like that. But it's got a really, really wide base and it comes up to a really tall, narrow neck. Mm. Um, and it looks like a pot still with like a big chimney spout. It's pretty cool. That is pretty neat. I'm into it. Marks will be made. Marks will be made. Marks will be made. <laughs> but I always like that expression. I, <laughs> In reference to Maker's Mark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I also don't hoard liquor bottles. So thank you. It's thank like, you. Oh no, this really cool bottle's gone. Guess I'm gonna get rid of the bottle. You could repurpose it for like. That's true. Some kind of homemade soap or something. You ever start doing that? <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. Cat, do you make homemade soap? No. <laughs> oh. No, but like, but you know, if you want to have a nice bottle for like your dish soap mm, by your sink, true, true. you know, that's not a bad. That, that's not a weird look bottles. at all. Like, let's, let me wash my hands and you <laughs> upturn a scotch bottle. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I think That's if I got similar. a nice enough bottle, honestly, if I got a nice bottle of of something that I really wanted. Like clean the label off. The bottle's shape is neat. I think they're worth saving. Yeah, that's fair. But say I bought, you know, a $500 bottle or something, one of the nicer ones that I that I would consider spending that much for. Yeah. I'd put it in a decanter. I'd put it in a crystal decanter. Totally. Uh, and it would be <clears throat> my nice, like, yeah. this is nice. It's in the decanter. Oh yeah, and then you got the Get nice the like bottle. matching crystal glasses like next to it on like a silver tray in your uh, library you know next to like so your, I'm, your with like a roaring tobacco, fire your yeah. pipe tobacco and your like your robe right big I'm, moose yeah, head over I'm the sitting, fireplace yeah yeah, Fuck yeah I'm dude. sitting there I'm sitting there I got a chessboard set up oh absolutely oh. you have chess of course oh, there's a chessboard yeah. Thank you for joining me. We're playing the Please king's sit. gambit now, fam. If you can beat me at chess, I'll give you a pour. 
It's a nice image. There's nothing <laughs> there's nothing more romantic to me than having like my own like mahogany shelved library, like floor to ceiling mm-hmm. bookshelves and like a nice reading nice leather reading chair with like my pipe and my tobacco always ready to go. Just like a classy ass reading lamp and mm-hmm. and just like a silver tray with my scotch on it. Like yeah, I just know mahogany is like that famous like man's man wood, I guess. That's Don't why I mentioned oak. it. Don't use uh, oak. Oak fan? No. Even some nice oak furniture. Most oak furniture mm. I've ever come across is disgusting. Not old gross oak, but like Ooh. Torna's going to build modern. custom furniture exclusively out of oak now and prove you wrong. Tor- <laughs> <laughs> Just plague me with it. Absolutely. No, I bet Torna could probably show me some nice oak pieces that I'd be into. All but right. when I think of oak furniture, I think of like thick, rounded edges, 90s, Pretty gaudy. awful, yeah. like yes. blonde. Yes. Right. Ugh. Hate that. Torna, is oak a hard, I know it's a hardwood by classification, yeah. but is it, it is, is it difficult to craft? Uh, yes, in that, like, it's hard on your saw blades, slow cuts, you know, I, I'm working on a nightstand right now, and I just cut through, like, a really thick piece of alder, which is a very soft wood, mm-hmm. and, like, my table saw ripped right through it, no problem, you try to cut through, like, a piece of six-inch thick oak, like, it probably... It could probably stall out the table saw. Whoa, um, that's intense. You'd have to do like you'd have to do multiple passes. I like put the blade up as tall as it could go and just passed through. Okay, like no problem. But are you start lower and then are you at risk of the of the table saw like splintering around the edges and like missing a good clean cut? Yes, that mostly just happens with like bad grains, not having sharp blades. Oh, okay. That that makes sense. And then orientation is important when you're making cuts because of the way the blade spins. Mm-hmm. You can basically, they call it blowing out your cut so it'll splinter out. Yeah. So yep. you have to make sure that like, oh, the side that I want to be nice needs to go down. Mm. Or, you know, however your blade is oriented. So you kind of get used to Where's blowout usually at? Okay, if this piece is going to blow out, make sure it's on the side of the cut that's going to be hidden or join it or something like that. So Nice. Strategery. Yeah, yes. strategery indeed. All right, there, so there's the challenge, Torna. You make not just a bench, but you make the whiskey bench out of oak and, oh. and prove cat wrong Okay, <laughs> that oak furniture is bad. Um, I will say that I probably... <laughs> Wouldn't put any oak furniture in my house, but Ooh. I've seen it. It's decent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I really like teak. Well, yeah, me too. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to build something out of teak. I wanted to build some little planters out of teak. Oh, that's a fun And uh, so I made it on down to the local lumber store. And uh, what's what's the root uh, of this oak prejudice? It's. What I described is it it's bad awful. though. Like <laughs> it's, it's the style of construction was bad for that piece of furniture. That doesn't mean the wood is bad for making furniture. I love oak floors, oak wood floors. Okay, they're beautiful. Um, 
just like uh, oak oak doors that are just no stain or anything, just sealed natural color. Beautiful. Uh. Uh, See, I was going to say I feel like right. the natural right, color fair. without it being stained is part of the problem that I have with the oh. furniture. See, I think the furniture that you're used to actually has some sort is it of stained. It's it has some sort of like maybe lacquer on it or polyurethane that basically starts to amber mm. and it gets kind of that weird orangey. Yeah, mm. totally. That is not natural oak color. Okay. I stand corrected. There it's we go. Natural right. oak color Fact is check. sweet. It's like a light natural gotcha blonde blonde with some like gray tones all right all right it's pretty cool but yeah i'm a teak fan but i was gonna build a, a plant a planter at a teak and uh went to go get it priced here in montana it's uh it's like 60 dollars a foot yes Whoa. wowzers yeah yeah that's Teak's expensive mm. yeah Torna and I both have very expensive taste, I feel like. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> we, have to make, we gotta make more money. Sounds like it. But I mean, sixty dollars <laughs> per foot for the raw material. Could you imagine if you just went shopping for teak planters that were made by someone else? You're probably looking at hundreds uh yeah, of like the kinds that I wanted that I want to build, similar ones are like Six hundred to eight hundred dollars. Well, yeah. Wow. Uh, wait. Are you just like? Are you talking garden beds or like windowsill planters? I'm talking or? about. I I designed uh, a few of them, but okay. Basically, like they're like ten inches deep and like thirty six inches long, so not that big. And then they're up on legs, hmm. like tapered legs. Oh. And so they're like for inside, like a piece of furniture that you can put plants in. Wow, so it almost looks like a coffee table, but full of dirt. Yeah, pretty much. That's pretty I like neat. It. I like that concept. When you say it like that, it'd probably be hard to sell it for $800. No, I'm <laughs> a just... A coffee table full of dirt. It's a coffee table full of dirt. <laughs> if you want, you can put plants in it. Is it wrong, though? Or if you want, you can stick a cup of coffee in it. <laughs> you go, just, <laughs> just shove your mug down into the dirt until it makes sure it doesn't tip over. Yeah. That's it. Just creates a but natural people, rhyme um, clay. People will go and buy old sailboats that are all finished in teak, and they'll just like reclaim it. Reclaim it. They'll tear apart the boat and yeah, get all the uh, teak and yeah, and sell. It. And it really shouldn't be that expensive. It's just it's all imported. But I mean, teak is like a. I mean, it's so common all over the world. Just not here. It's just you know, it's an exotic. It's exotic. Plus, getting so. boat teak is even harder in Montana. <laughs> Wow. We're pretty landlocked. So I'm going to live in Montana and my house is going to be completely finished in boat teak. Boat teak. Specifically. That's the, that's just the, the specific flex. wood yeah. you've sided your house with. Yeah, I just built a custom home. It's sided in boat teak. <laughs> oh, Lord. I can only imagine how expensive that would be. I bet it wouldn't cost $1.9 trillion, though. Oh, that's right. My. <laughs> God, how's uh, that for a transition? That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I, I, I'd talk about you. woodworking and lumber all day, so we gotta we gotta focus in here. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna. You know the the all the scenes from Forrest Gump where Bubba's talking about all the types of shrimp. <laughs> yeah, I'm like Bubba, but I'm like there's walnut, <laughs> there's teak, there's oak, there's tiger wood. Yeah. That's honestly yep. how I felt a little bit when Kat texted me about a friend who wants to start a podcast. 
asking about <laughs> oh, what yeah. asking about what equipment. I was like, oh my gosh, I almost need to like interview her about what her podcast might be about, <laughs> so I can tell her what she might need. <laughs> well, yeah. this uh, this uh, this will get us right back on track again, actually, because that's kind of what I did with the equipment that I have. I looked at what was available, what was fairly nice, but what I could get a complete setup for using the first stimulus check. Oh <laughs> yeah. It was your- I was like, hey, I let's see, can I get uh audio mixer, headphones, microphone, you know, extra space for my computer, an extra hard drive, everything like that. Yeah. I was like, mm. can I come in? And it came in well below twelve hundred dollars, which is great. The whiskey um, bench brought to you by COVID nineteen. No, brought to you by Daddy Trump. Yeah. Oh God. And, and uh, we'll see what you know business investment I'll make with Daddy Biden's with, yeah, contribution. Exactly. Um, if I get any, we'll see. Why do I know they get the credit for it because Hopefully they're you the don't. president and stuff? But Hopefully I don't. That's right. I mean, it's the legislature that passed the bill, right? I know he no, has to I approve know. it. It's but. Daddy Congress. I, I well, know. Biden's uh, trying to. <laughs> well, he initially was trying to go around that whole deliberative process, but yeah, now it will. Now it will. Uh, yeah, what were Congress. the details there? I was very confused about the uh, the political jujitsu everyone was trying to play. In terms of what the initial. Well, um, like he was trying to. Was he trying to go around Congress and spend money without their approval? For the um, COVID relief package. Yeah relief said in quotes um <laughs> no that was more of like a i guess my i misrepresented that there it was more of a it was it was a sort of a mandate by him to say like we need to put something like this together and oh I he see. did try to he sort of laid the foundation for a 15 a federal 15 dollar minimum wage mm-hmm. with one of his executive orders that mm-hmm. had to do with like federal employees and essentially long story short making it harder for them to be fired government employees can be fired now (laughs) um and now they're trying to include the 15 dollar minimum wage with the covid relief package but then there's some jujitsu there because basically the democrats are trying to get the relief bill passed essentially through the reconciliation process the budget reconciliation process which would mean they they wouldn't need they could do it by a party line vote yeah the simple majority majority. yeah yeah however the in the 15 dollar minimum wage is in question there because you can't include things in the budget reconciliation process that don't actually have to do with budgets and so they probably can't include the $15 minimum wage. But uh, as Bernie Sanders says, he has a room full of lawyers trying to work out a case to say that it should be included. But the Senate parliamentarian is the person who they would have to convince to break the bird rule Whoa. to make that happen. The bird rule. I'm unfamiliar with this. Complicated. Seriously, I'm... <laughs> I just glossed over there at the very end. What the? Yeah. I know. It's a lot of ins and outs. You're getting into a lot of like mm. parliamentary. Is that the word? Yeah. The Like the rules of how they conduct. 
Yeah, which like in this case it matters, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think we've had enough of breaking precedent and we need to like stick to the rules that make things function mm-hmm. or try to make things function in a bipartisan way. So I think it's important that those rules are upheld. Sure. But we'll see. Yeah. We will see. So we're so, trying to get this, what is it called? The American Rescue Plan? Is is that the the $1.9 trillion plan? The 1.9 is the COVID release. Is the plan. COVID release. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if they're Relief. calling it America Save or whatever you guys American just said. Rescue. Gotcha. That might be just the overarching plan. like vision. Biden. Like he's tweeting a lot about it. And like yes. he's got a team. And it's one of. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say the, the 1.9 is one installment of potentially multiple mm-hmm. packages. Yeah. Right. That's so much money. It's insane. That's a we've lot already of money. spent we've already spent three trillion. Yeah. In COVID spending. We don't have anything to show for it. <laughs> yeah. And we have another one trillion unused from the last several mm-hmm. efforts that they are not trying to include or use for this package. Nice. Which is insane. I think. Unused. Uh, this will be I'm confused. Yep. What does that mean? Well, a lot of like PPP loans, the payment protection mm-hmm. loans, a lot of oh, that yeah. money wasn't, a lot of the money that was set aside for that, for those loans, was not drawn upon. No, and they're starting to do second um, draws on uh, PPP, some of the SBA loans. I just noticed they are offering some new grants, um, some seed money stuff all through SBA, which I would assume is actually coming from that leftover, but. I think there's leftovers probably beyond the PPP loans as well. Right. I, th- I think there's, you know, money left in several pots. Interesting. I got to try and get some of that. <laughs> Start applying. You are SBA the owner loans. of a Montana LLC. You might be able to. I am. I am a small business Be owner. careful, though, whether it's a grant or a loan, because if you're on the hook for paying it back, you might find yourself. Oh, they're all forgivable. Uh, they're all forgivable. Yeah. And interest rates are dirt cheap. It's kind of crazy. Are they? Yeah. Are they all forgivable? What am I missing? That's how they're designed. I From believe, what yeah. I've seen, at on the original process, there were grants and loans given out, and then there was all this talk like, ah, we don't know if they're going to be forgivable, and now you can apply for forgiveness on any loan that you've taken out. Um, and the loans for small businesses were upwards of like two million, depending on the size of your business. So. Have we seen an old program is like has any small business successfully gotten one forgiven yet? Do we know? I think they just started like last week even taking forgiveness applications. applications. Yeah. I don't think anyone's been required to pay them back either. uh, No, I I think most of the contracts were like within a year or until you can prove that like you've used the funds. So you could keep track of all your draws. And then I also saw that. They're just now basically going through all of the requests, some of which were, well, most of which were granted, hmm. and actually like sending out paperwork and contacting the people that got the money and being like, okay, yeah, you need to fill out this stuff and give us extra information. And it's wild. Yeah, I think they're realizing that they actually should probably make the requirements, the whole process, a bit stricter because right. there have been lots of cases of companies drawing like huge sums of money 
private, that are going to be forgivable that probably didn't need pu- the money. Publicly traded companies. Yeah, some big tech companies did were that, didn't they? Getting millions of dollars yeah. from the small business loans. Yeah. Right. Elon Omar's husband, who is basically a, a political consultant who manages her oh, yeah. campaigns, yeah. won when you look at how much their their millions that they raked in in donations this last cycle, how much his fee is huge. So like their household basically mm-hmm. keeps a fat chunk of that money. And then on top of that, they also got like, I forget the exact amount, um, but they also got a, a big PPP loan mm. as well nice. while they're raking in millions. I mean, it's so there's lots of cases like that I, where it's just like yeah. classic waste, fraud and abuse. I'm still I'm still skeptical of like, of being uh, of just writing off like the loan as well yeah it'll eventually be forgivable anyway because they're just they're just playing oh no i agree with money but... in well because like you look at the program designed for teachers to take student loans and then they teach for x amount of years and then they can apply for forgiveness and like the success of that program is like less than one percent of people who apply actually get the forgiveness because there are so many Mm -hmm. things that they're never told until like oh yeah did you not know that for the last four years you were supposed to be tracking x y and z details and they were like no no one literally ever told me so like yeah i don't know i'm just i'm just i'm skeptical of the move to just be like yeah i mean grants loans it's all this like if torna took one I would be very wary of that actually ever being able to be forgiven, even based on the language they're trying to put forward now. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I figured if I if I managed to get one, I'd just dump it back into my business and Right. Invest in yourself. You know. Like grow your yeah, grow exactly. your own business, then, grow your own capital. Because I, I don't know I don't actually know what it's out at, but it's gotta be like one percent or something. Don't listen to me. I'm not a financial expert. <laughs> I'm just brainstorming here. I'm like, huh, how can you make this work for you? Because <laughs> the government's just spending money out the wazoo, which finally leads us to the actual topic that I think we want to talk about tonight. And that is MMT, which stands for Modern Monetary Theory. Yep. Yeah. Which I was very unfamiliar with. Mm. And. Boy, oh boy! There's a lot of stuff out it's there. A, oh, it's yeah. a brain bender, man. It's and it's a contentious topic amongst. Well, I think it's more of a political debate than really an economic debate, but it's definitely yes contentious among economists. Mm. It seems so, and I I uh, dove into a bunch of different podcasts, YouTube videos. I wish I had like a book an actual textbook or something that talked about it that i could read but uh it's confusing but also fairly simple in some aspects and so i don't have a clear picture of mmt granted i only spent about probably 10 hours total like 10 trying hours to... that's that's a good amount of time <laughs> like when you're just like like podcasts and me trying to look stuff up that's what four hours because i try to split pros and 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 well i guess pro mmt and and opposing mmt sure like maybe four hours of each viewpoint that's like three podcasts each mm-hmm. it's not that much there's a lot and i'm when it comes to economics i am woof, 
I realized this week that I am big dumb. <laughs> big dumb. Yeah. Okay. I'm ex- I'm excited to like learn a lot more about economics right now because hearing because a lot of it to me seems fairly intuitive. And so as I started listening about MMT, I was like, this doesn't make sense. I don't get this. Like this doesn't seem intuitive. Mm, yeah. But these people have you know all these credentials. Do we want to start at the very? I first of all, basics? I was just curious to ask, like, cat, how? So you have a degree. You have an undergrad degree in economics, correct? Yes. How new is MMT? Like, did you were you introduced to the concept, like before you graduated? Yes, it was talked about like in a fledgling so, so form. to answer your question about how new is it i mean that's it's not that new um it's in vogue right now so it's yeah. new sort of in our discourse public discourse talking about mm-hmm. fiscal policy and monetary policy right. but um like Keynes wrote about it and i think the oh, first really? person Whoa. to float the idea was a german economist like in the late 19th century i want to say and so, yeah, no, early 20th in 1905. And the that's, state theory of money, German economist George Friedrich Knopp. And that's what I had seen is that there were early talks of it. Yeah. And then Nazi Germany kind of used that understanding and principles like in the late 1930s into World War II to kind of propel their model of becoming a superpower that they did. Mm. It ba- again, it popped up in the 80s, and then recently, like just in the last decade, it's kind of had a huge uh, resurgence. It's popular among um, modern progressive politicians mm-hmm. because it kind of fits their theory that you can essentially spend without limits. Right. Mm-hmm. And that there are no consequences of that in particular. There are no serious inflationary consequences of mm-hmm. government spending, which goes against all the basic understanding of inflation and monetary policy. Yes. And I will say everything that I've listened to and, and watched in the last few days about this, anyone that's on the pro side, like almost always has some sort of disclaimer and they're like, you need to set aside like all of your basic understandings of economics and like have (laughs) an open mind to understand this. And like, they're like, what we perceive as like modern economics like is outdated and so we need to like come to this open minded to be enlightened to see that this is the way or whatever hmm. and one thing that i did see and i can i can agree with is that it's not so much like you switch to mmt it's just like how you perceive the economy to work it's not like mm-hmm. you it's just you don't like implement mmt it's well, well, kind of, because you're spending, but it's it's like you're justifying your spending with MMT. Yeah. So they they so according to MMT, the thought is monetary policy doesn't control prices mm-hmm. and and the money supply and inflation, but fiscal policy can control it. So taxing and spending, okay, is how you can manage inflation. Is that yes. is that the Difference because I'm I'm I feel so far behind already. Like, is that the the difference between monetary and fiscal? Is fiscal is ha- is is taxation and whatnot? Yeah, fiscal policy is basically like the central government's ability to tax and spend. Okay. 
monetary policy is like a nation's what would be like their central bank. Mm-hmm. So for us, like the Fed, their ability sure. to expand and contract the money supply. Yes. Through like various tools. Yeah. So I, I do. Manipulating the interest rate. Is yes. One. Yeah. Yes. I want to back up because I want to lay out some fundamentals of this because if anyone listening is like me, like three days ago, I knew nothing about this. So basically it's a theory about spending and money that is basically saying that any government that is in control of printing and distributing its own currency cannot go bankrupt. Right. I.e. there is no limit to spending and they go through some ideas about how to manage inflation. Basically, most people that I that I have found were basically saying that like inflation really isn't ever a problem Mm. because they're like until it is right yeah exactly (laughs) until it is so i have some notes here they're a little bit unorganized but i want to go through them because i kind of wrote down what i thought were the most basics of mmt trying to understand the pro side of it so uh several people were mentioning something that they call like the household fallacy and basically that's that people perceive government and spending the same as like a household does Mm -hmm. in that a household is restrained to spending as much as they make, which is very much not the case with lines of credit and everything like that. But mostly it's like, Hey, we can't spend more than we make. Government isn't restrained to the same budget. Right. So it can spend more than it makes, which is the case anyway. Right. We spend more than we make. That is true. But there, but that doesn't mean there aren't consequences for doing that. Yes, exactly. But go on. And well, then just like there's another not, basis, if you just just like there's consequences for consumer debt, like being invited yeah. into your own household. Sure. Yes. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But there's loopholes with with government debt. I'll get to that. Hmm. So if you are in control of the money printing, your government, you can't go insolvent. There are limits, but effectively, it's impossible for the U.S. We print our own currency right. to become bankrupt, which seems crazy to me. But the idea is that you control the U.S. dollar and its distribution, printing, everything like that. Right. If you are in debt for $30 trillion, you can't go insolvent because you can print $30 trillion worth of dollars. And that technically, in quotes, will pay for that debt, right? But then you have consequences. Like inflation, right. because when you flood the money supply with mm-hmm. printing that much money and flooding the money supply that way, like mm-hmm. if government spend, spends more than if the government spending is greater than GDP, you get inflation. Right. And so the more we print money that way, we devalue the purchasing power of each exactly. dollar. Causing prices to rise. And that's right. OK. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that's how you get inflation. And then they go into some stuff about like basically employment can affect inflation. Like so long as like. Oh, that's the other progressive thing is that if they, that they, that the government can, can control, I guess, is that the argument that they 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 can can control control inflation inflation by just giving people jobs? Yeah. By providing jobs. 
is that which that one to me feels like a real stretch and that just fits their agenda but but what do you think would be their best argument is it that they are distributing even further like the more people that are employed the more people have money but they have less like large sums so it's distributed more so that prices like under inflation still don't rise because they're still meeting like a lower floor for like maybe that's their way of increasing gdp oh okay that yeah it? that might be it because they're the employer like right, they're if you in, generating if you increase the gross domestic product of the country by making sure more people are employed so they're trying to play both roles perhaps is that maybe yes. i'm sorry this 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 part and, of the argument and, i haven't really and thought this is this about. is what's weird to me is that i think that idea of just creating government jobs to help deal with inflation sure is assuming that those are productive jobs that are like creating wealth and right. basically adding more value to the global okay. or I guess the the nation's GDP and everything like so that. So this but I don't think government jobs do that. I think that. this has been done before and it's actually maybe you guys can speak to it uh because honestly it's coming to my head as more of an association but this sounds like, you know, like create a government job so that more people can be employed so that we spread more and like keep the con- the economy afloat. Like this sounds like a mm-hmm. factor included in the New Deal that created the Civilian Conservation Corps. Essentially like FDR was like, let's create jobs for young men to help us like build and maintain our national parks, thereby keeping more people around the country employed which which helps like raise us out of a very dire depression in the market. Well, yes, that's true, and that's true in countries all so over the might world. Have worked, but the thing is, it it works in specific cases where you put resources into like big infrastructure updates, like the interstate so, system, even interstates, bridges. Okay, you know. National parks could be considered in that, right? Like, because there's long term, there actually is long term benefits. benefits that will be a result of that. Okay. And then you do have workers and things like that. But then you get into weird, then you get these companies that are tied into contracts. And then that gets into a whole nother. We know how you feel here. about government contracts, Torna. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mind them, but they just, you get locked into yeah, them. Yeah, totally. Um, this is what was weird to me, kind of talking about just pumping money into the economy via printing. The justification or the reasoning behind it that I've seen from from proponents of MMT is that modern economics says that having a deficit is bad and then having like austerity is good, but they actually flip it. They say that a deficit is good because this is the reasoning. If the government spends a hundred dollars right? But only taxes $90. They're running a $10 deficit, but now there's $10 in the economy that will stimulate it. Whoa. I don't, I don't, but that, so that argument is basically that like the government can just create, can create wealth out of, out of of nothing. nothing. And I think, that that's like goes against the law of nature. Because they're not talking about the value that that now ten dollars has. Hmm. That's assuming that that's everything is still equal, right? Because then they're saying with austerity, if the government spends ninety dollars and taxes a hundred dollars, they now have ten extra dollars, which essentially is 
not stimulating the economy. But then there's this weird middle thing where it's like, okay. well, that means then they can now tax less because they're spending less. So that $10 should still be, well, that $10 now should actually be in the economy, hmm. stimulating it. Because they figured out, oh, we can actually spend $90 instead of 100 So now we don't have to take that extra $10 out of the market that's already there. That, that's the way that I've perceived it. I like can, I said, this is trying man. to understand MMT. I, I, it doesn't seem reasonable. Something feels like it's clicking with that, but I'm not, I'm not sure what it is. So like, okay, um, I just started the biography uh, by Ron Chernow of Alexander Hamilton, for which the musical is mm. based, because um, I'm a nerd. But <laughs> honestly, some of that sounds like what even Alexander Hamilton was helping to establish through the national, uh, the national banks he was arguing for. Mm-hmm. And yep. kind of creating the foundation of our our financial system, like it, f- from what it sounds like. So I, I can see this push and pull that MMT is arguing for, where they can push the money out, and as long as they meter it out just enough and tax at a just enough rate to like keep inflation at bay, like. If they're if they're giving out a hundred dollars and taking away ninety, I can kind of see where that negative space, where that ten dollars, I can kind of hear that argument and be like, yeah, I mean, so now that ten dollars is in the pocket of like a city Burberisa, now he gets to go by subway, and now that's like contributing to the the infrastructure of like what makes a subway sandwich or whatever. Like that's a very hyper specific example because I was a city brew employee yeah. that bought subway sandwiches. But like that that ten dollars was was of benefit to me. Now, like mm-hmm. on the other side of things, it's like Man, that's so good. What it feels like it comes down to, um, I think it's important to point out that proponents of MMT that I've been studying say that it's only possible as long as the nation that is attempting to uh exercise MMT is in control of its own currency and does not carry debt in another country's currency. So like, correct. So like and this Greece, is, this is a Greece thing can't that- get out of their issue because they're using u- the Euro as a currency or like, correct. Yeah, they can't Venezuela can't print, yeah. print themselves out of what they're in because they carry debt in U S dollars, but the UK right. and right. the U S don't carry any debt in any other currency and we control like Congress has the power of the purse and, and we have the fed set up to like effectively add the zeros. And the other thing, this is really important. And then continue, please. MMT is very clear about stating that the reason why like the government has so much power with its printing is, and, and that the dollar will maintain its value is simply because it taxes its citizens. So the U.S. dollar is not backed by gold anymore, right? Correct. MMT says the only reason it has value is because citizens of the United States are forced to pay their taxes in U.S. dollar. Okay. It claims that taxation is the only thing that is giving a country that's not backed by some physical thing uh, its currency value, which seems crazy to me. Well... 
but also kind yeah, of but makes wouldn't sense. that be true if we were actually like trading pellets of gold? Like, what the government is doing is creating just enough scarcity for the dollar to create its or to hold its value. Mm-hmm. So, like, if the government just went and like had its own gold mine and just started throwing gold dust out the streets of LA or whatever, like the more gold that's out there, the less valuable it is and the prices rise and this is inflation. But so when they say like, here's a bunch of gold, but Oh, sorry, we want some of that back. Like I can I only agree with that so much because that. gold is a physical, like finite representation right. of wealth. Right? Yeah. Like it's an element. Like, <laughs> there's limited amounts it has to be it has to be found refined but like there's but so this with printing you quite literally (sighs) can just open up a computer program and and add more to your ledger right like and that's where that's what i wanted to get back to is because we're off the gold standard like we're we're in a spot where mm -hmm. like even if you go get a bank loan it's not like you go take a $200,000 mortgage for a house and then you, your bank, your loan officer like runs to the safe and starts counting 20s, right? Right, exactly. He adds some zeros and he's saying like, on the good faith of this bank, we pledge you $200,000 to go buy a house and then you mm-hmm. agree to pay it back with interest by X and X a date. And as far as I understand the Fed, which is very little... And I can only imagine what Kat's thinking because Torna and I are doing a lot of talking right now. So I can't wait to hear from Kat, by the way. <laughs> Economics degree over there, just listening to a couple plebs. <laughs> um, as long as the power belongs with the Fed to create the zeros and then the federal government retains the power of taxation. Where am I going with this? I... I can honestly see it a little bit because like if we're not backed by gold, essentially what the government is asking us to do is to uh, like, it's literally just on the good faith uh, that the government will back its value. Right. Which, which sounds so scary to me because I'm very like, I mean, we're all pretty libertarian minded. So like when a government just asks you to trust its currency, and literally the currency currency is just that that you trust the government uh, maybe that maybe that's a uh a fallacy of an argument but after reading about this i i see the value of of cryptocurrency yeah and like having a not that's a really weird government regulated that's a ri- but then a lot of that's like Gosh. your ledgers. You've got Bitcoin, but then it's you're earning interest in like U.S. dollars. It's weird. And even then, even then, it's hard to make the argument that like that Bitcoin is a finite resource, just as gold was. I mean, I know there's mining, and I have no fucking clue how that works. But even then, it's hard to make the argument as long as you're you're talking about like binary code representing a. Mm-hmm. A currency value like in the world you know like elon musk is now accepting bitcoin to purchase tesla yeah feels like a big deal um it, it, it that is a big deal because mm-hmm. the more companies that i think that sends a signal right. to businesses around the world that he's taking this risk others could take the risk of accepting this currency and as soon as more businesses accept it as a currency all of a sudden it has a hell of a lot more yeah. value yeah right becomes real wealth rather than just 
some imaginary thing that you store virtually. Mm-hmm. Maybe a bunch of citizens should try and pay their taxes in Bitcoin. <laughs> Whoa! You just broke the you just <laughs> you you broke the system. <laughs> you, oh, the IRS can't arrest us all. <laughs> they probably can. They probably can though. <laughs> the ga- GameStop. Yeah, comes Ga- to Diamond Hands. GameStop. <laughs> Diamond Hands. Those taxes, fam. To the Fed. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh my God. Just real quick, because I was just thinking about this. You were saying earlier that, um, basically, the Fed will control inflation, or government can control inflation based on taxation, which is true. Mm-hmm. But that's well, where. Well, no. That's the MMT theory. Well. That's not traditionally how. No. Right. But inflation is controlled. But I think yeah. But what doesn't make sense to me is that, like, they're saying, oh, we can print as much money as we want and we can control inflation so long as we tax it. But, like, if you print $30 trillion and pump it into the economy, then you have to increase taxes enough to recover $30 trillion. And I think that's part of the argument that's either... It's like cutting off your head and standing on it to be taller. That's my new favorite analogy. Yeah, that's actually kind of a really great <laughs> metaphor for it. I feel like wow. the, art, the, the component of this whole thing that is either overlooked or intentionally ignored by proponents of MMT is that... Well, it's sort of the the consequences of ver- of these various actions that like the spending causes inflation mm-hmm. and their argument is, well, we can just tax our way around that, but taxing suppresses productivity to some degree, mm-hmm. right? Depending on how much you're taxed, mm-hmm. but that like is a burden on individuals and on businesses. Yes. And so if that works, to sort of suppress GDP long-term and you're still spending more, the government expenditures are greater than GDP Mm. and in part because they're taxing it, like that's, I feel like that's, that's, it's, they're chasing their own tail. They're causing inflation and they're trying to tax their way out of it, but the taxation's actually making, exacerbating the problem. That feels, that feels like the most glaring problem to me um with MMT is that you're either going to start with the money you have, spend it and then start the cycle or you're going to spend money you don't have on the promise that you will one day have it and then start taxing to actually like make up for it. So it, you either start on the right foot or the left foot or like you start on the high ground or the low ground. So if you if your very first move is to spend money you don't have then you're always, I think chasing your own tail is the exact right term for that. You're like, now you're incentivized to, to figure out a way to justify that original move. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook.com slash WhiskeyBenchPod for Android users. There you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review to help others find the show. Thank you to Reagan James for the use of our theme music, The Habit, off her album, Message. Find her work on Spotify and Apple Music. Mm-hmm. And, and another 
thing that's worth considering. And we have sort of um, like a real world projection of Mm this. Um, But there's a lot of modeling that suggests that um, massive government spending, like the proposed 1.9 trillion in this next round of quote unquote relief, um, that in the long term, which is part of the problem with MMTers and right. Keynesians and that whole way of thinking, they think short term because, as Keynes said, in the long run, we're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong, though. But there are long term. Yeah, but yeah. there are other people who are not dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, <yeah>. but sure. <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like maybe we give well a done. shit about well that. Done. But that's very um, neo Darwinistic to be like, yeah, it's just me. Right. And then when I'm done, that's it. Fuck hmm. it. Yeah. yeah. But um, so for example, with this proposed next round of spending, um, a group called the Penn Wharton Budget Model did some projections. And what they've come up with is they think that this spending would basically suppress GDP in the long term with well, what they've what they've estimated is that there'd be a 0.6% boost in GDP within the first year in 2021, because mm. that's kind of if you're dumping that much money into the economy, that's sort of unavoidable. Mm. But then uh, in 2022, it would decrease by 0.2%. And then um, by 2040, it would decrease by 0.3%. So it would be we basically would have like two decades of just like. Of less slow turn down how dramatic yeah. how do right. how dramatic like, what what does 0.3 percent of gdp look like like what how does that what a do good you think question, that translates into like trillions trillions yeah 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 let's see what the whoa of uh, 0.3 of trillions. I mean, not 0.3 is trillions, uh, right. but 0.3 okay. of trillions. Wrong. I heard you wrong. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah. the fuck? That's crazy. Yeah, I was that's like, huge. yeah, man, that's I heard GDP is big. No, 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 no. But, um, but yeah, so, but, so my point being a, a significant chunk, right? Mm, and yeah, right. And like that, and that means something more than just numbers on paper, right? That means like lives impacted, mm-hmm. opportunities sure. were gone, you right. know, um, I think the MMT thing is kind of, uh, like I said at the beginning of our conversation, I think it's more of a, um, I think there's more of a political debate around it than like an economic one. I mean, yeah, obviously well, and it involves it might, economics it and there's feels right. economists on both sides of yeah. the aisle It just that talk about it. But like, hmm. but I think when you look at, when you get down to sort of the nitty gritty of it, I think, and Maybe I'm biased because I think MMT is pie in the sky goofy that's kind of detached from economic mm. reality. Mm. But like, mm. I think the people who are proponents of it, they it conveniently fits like a political agenda. That's what I was just going to say. It seems like it's really useful for basically overlaying progressive ideology into an economic model yeah. that meshes well. And one example of that is proponents of MMT are very adamant about saying that the current like natural rate of unemployment is a very like cruel and anti-human thing. Like to say that it's healthy for an economy to have people unemployed is like a atrocity. Hmm. But then the counter argument is like, 
of course, it's natural to have unemployment because one, there's people that aren't working or don't want to work. Right. And then there's people that are in between jobs. Right. Which count as unemployment. Yeah. So like I think like the natural rate of unemployment, which I'm reading is really difficult to actually calculate, but they're like 5% of workers are like unemployed at any given point. And so it's like this really like more compassionate progressive ideology that's like no one should be unemployed right no one should be unemployed that's not good Mm. whereas like in reality it seems like that's actually not necessarily a bad thing it's a natural cycle of people in between jobs and people that aren't working and so on and so forth um and then it also talks a lot about like being a means of basically trying to decrease wealth disparity right how so not really creating wealth, but the, but the idea is basically you can print money, give it to underprivileged communities or, you know, not redistribute it, redistribute it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and one, it doesn't seem like they acknowledge the fact that most money ends up getting back into the hands of the richer people that are producing and have businesses. And That's true. Like that. And then it doesn't address the issue where, they're claiming that like taxing is not really a big deal, but they still really want to tax the wealthiest. Mm-hmm. And to me, you start getting into some really Marxist ideology where it's we don't just want to increase the well-being of the poorest. We want to make sure that we rip down the richest because their own theory is saying that like, we, we can just print money. We don't really need to tax you. So we're taxing the richest people. Because we want to take their money. Well, to control inflation is their theory, but yeah. Right. And again, I think that disregards the the natural consequences of taxation and how that decreases productivity. Like mm-hmm. you can't just, I mean, I, I fully believe that you can't, you can't just create value out of nothing. So the idea that they could just print wealth into existence and pump it into the economy well that's the thing people i i it's they're supposed to be experts but it's like people are really confusing wealth with just currency Hmm. and they're definitely not synonyms well Um, and that's where the the purchasing power inflation question comes in right and they sort of ignore that and i think part of why they ignore it is because they look at places like japan who's had basically a stagnant economy for like multiple decades now with like basically near zero interest rates mm-hmm. and and no inflation. And so I think they look at they kind of look at that as like a case study and say, you know, we can because we have our own currency, like we can mm-hmm. just print and and avoid and and monetary policy doesn't actually really control anything because look, right. it hasn't. They haven't. Ex- these places haven't experienced inflation, and they haven't had to worry about changing interest rates. And so, mm. that's not a real concern, right? And the thing that about MMT that kind of does mesh with kind of how the tax system is now is that you see the government constantly through grants and tax benefits basically incentivizing putting money into things like solar and wind that are just sinks they're not adding any value to anything 
And the tax code, I think I had mentioned this before, like the tax code is just a roadmap that the government gives you telling you where you should spend your money. And the only way (laughs) that they can justify it is, you know, hey, we need, like I said, wind, for example. They're like, no one wants to do it in a free market setting because it's not profitable. It's not profitable. So they have to basically take and waste resources. They're quite literally just wasting precious resources mm-hmm. for some outcome that has no benefit to, you know, the country as a whole or even the world as a whole. Has political benefits and benefits, financial benefits for special interest groups. Right. And that's that's what's so interesting to me is the idea that they'll just create government jobs so everyone has a job. It's like claiming that it's going to put money into the economy, claiming that it's going to add wealth when really they're actually taking resources that a free market would use and actually benefit from and probably sinking them into something with no value. I wonder, I wonder how many critics there were. So I'm taking the solar wind idea and like we -hmm. said earlier, like it seemed like, the CCC might have worked during the New Deal, like giving people jobs to help create the national parks. And we brought up the interstate system as well. And like, I'm curious to know, I don't know the history, but I'm curious to know how many critics there were of the CCC and just like national parks in general and, and the interstate system. Because I I was really about to ask and you guys just kind of walked me into it. Like, is it not possible, though, that solar and wind are just at the beginning of what could be the next, like, like it seemed like it kind of worked for the government to invest in the infrastructure toward the CCC and toward the interstate system. And so now maybe solar and wind could turn into that. And we're just like so nascent in the scientific technology that it might appear to be a waste now, but like how many people thought the interstate system was a waste until they actually started connecting the pieces, you know? Well, I think investing in infrastructure is different than picking winners and losers and investing in companies, mm-hmm. which is what has happened. Oh, okay. With that's solar good clarification. Wind, right. Yeah. Like Solyndra is a solar company. That's kind of the classic example of, um, waste in that area where like i don't have the figures off the top of my head but the government spent millions investing in this solar company mm. and they never made the a profit and they the went, government never spends millions you know it was at least billions <laughs> maybe yeah maybe <laughs> um but they invested a ton of taxpayer money the company never made a profit and it eventually went bankrupt and that's okay. happened like over and over that's and over again clarification. and i think I think there's a fair argument to be made and like solar actually is not through government spending, but just by virtue of private investment and the technology improving it's, it is becoming um, more yeah. affordable to sure to like, I guess like the initial cost of like setting up that operation is becoming right. more affordable. Um, and I think my question is, is it only becoming more affordable because of subsidies? Or is it actually because the market, like the production of everything's actually cheaper? My understanding is because of like in the actual marketplace, it is becoming more affordable. That's good. Yeah. 
um, because the technology is Mm -hmm. evolving. Um, Mm -hmm. I think I don't fully have thoughts formed on this, but I think that maybe there is a role for government investment in infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Like you're talking Mm -hmm. about Henning with like road systems um, and like, grid yeah. infrastructure upgrades is something that we're all talking about now that it, is real and is a need and that seems to be and my that's different than picking big frustration is that they're not focusing you've got the green new deal idea and we've got big stimulus plans and solar and wind and the government's not actually focusing on less expensive infrastructure projects that actually will add immense value to the country and, and it's frustrating. Oh, yeah. Saying, Pete Buttigieg, our new transportation mm-hmm. sector, secretary, is, is, is <laughs> apparently he's starting to um, trumpet the idea of a high speed rail system that I guess would go across the country, mm-hmm. which it's like everywhere high speed rail has been tried like california is a perfect example of it it's been like a complete boondoggle that spent like billions of dollars and mm-hmm. never been completed and you can fly places cheaper and faster than taking a train yeah so like that's a good example of like why the fuck would we invest money in that when there's again like grids need to be updated yeah. if we actually want it yeah flint and Pontiac and some of these cities that are in dire need of infrastructure mm. upgrades. And maybe that should be the state level. But like at some point, it's like you want to spend yeah. trillions and trillions of dollars just in like, say, the Paris Accord or whatever. But we have dire needs right now in our country. And so it's like maybe reel it so back it all, a little bit. It, it all looks for... And we could spend less yeah. and get more out of it. So it, it sounds like... It sounds like it all just looks like political positioning or. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say my cynical view is that it's um, a lot of sort of some of the executive orders that you're alluding to, Torno, like a lot of that stuff, in my view, is just like political red meat being thrown at special interest groups. Mm. Yeah, that is truly nothing more than virtue signaling and won't actually have an impact on creating you know millions of good paying union green jobs that if you like look into that most one unions and most unions say that like these jobs don't actually exist Mm. and we don't want them because they actually Mm. aren't well paying and two when you (laughs) actually read this fantastic like investigative piece about um and and the journalist in the outlet is sympathetic to sort of like this idea of green jobs powered by solar mm-hmm. and wind and stuff and and like solar in particular is having an incredibly hard time retaining staff and even finding staff because it's low skill it's temporary and it doesn't pay mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. yeah so like anyway there's a lot of sort of just political rhetoric rhetoric okay. around these ideas that i think is yeah pretty empty and what's what's also frustrating is that there'll be a push for it i guarantee that instead of reading the market and saying, hey, I mean, Kat just wrote a piece about nuclear energy. Great writing, by the way. Dang. Shout out. Yeah. Fam. Oh, thank you. Great piece. Thank uh, you. <laughs> but it's true. Like, instead of reading the market and saying, hey, this is not something that the market is ready for right now and may never be, 
like they're probably going to implement some bureaucracy or something that's forcing higher wages for solar workers and then they'll subsidize those businesses so they can afford it instead of being like why don't we pivot in a classic business terminology (laughs) let's pivot and look into nuclear that those are great paying jobs Mm. high skill high reward Mm -hmm. high benefit well, I mean, that's a whole other topic to right. discuss, and maybe we could discuss that another time in like in some depth. But like, if anybody's, if any politician is really serious about addressing anthropogenic climate change, nuclear has to be on the table, mm. and it's 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 the only like really cost effective and power dense emission free option mm. that exists. Mm. Um, and it's mind boggling to me that so many environmentalists are opposed to it. And there's kind of like a long history since the cold war of, um, opposition to it that when you really dig into it, it's kind of rooted in misconceptions and yeah, like, so there's, there's a fear <laughs> again, I take a so there's a fear view, like but... <laughs> just the word nuclear is attached, but also like Chernobyl. Is that mm-hmm. what you're saying? Okay. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. Chernobyl's and a like, pretty not might a be bad more than, example. Yeah. <laughs> like not a bad argument. No, of course. I mean, there yeah, I mean there can be disasters and they can have huge mm-hmm. costs, but like if We've you also actually come a far way. Yeah, the technology has yeah. come a really far way. The waste disposal has always been another argument that sort of anti-nuclear people have proposed and the reality is like it actually a reactor doesn't create that much physical waste yeah and what it does it can it can be contained Mm -hmm. on land like and they contain it in these like super secure boxes metal yep containers yeah and like and we don't even have to just bury it in a mountain anymore yeah like France has figured out how to basically recycle their waste and turn it just, into more fuel. Just stick it. Like, just and stick that technology it a, is only just getting stick better. Stick it on a fucking Falcon Nine. Shh, shoot exactly. it into space. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? Uh, no. You want to talk but, about a good way to waste money? Launching needless weight into space. You know how expensive it is. Last I saw, it's like I want to say it's once everything's done, just like per fuel, it's like. It's sixty thousand dollars mm. per pound. Oh my god! To yeah, launch something Starlink in space, though, man. Oh, <laughs> I could be, I could be speaking out of term, but like, pretty sure the Chinese have done that. Oh yeah. I don't think that's like their go-to way of waste disposal. I mean, yeah. it's not, of course, but but they definitely have like launched junk into space. Yeah. And it's like hit people's other nations' oh, satellites, and oh, it's like geez. been a problem. In the past, interesting. China. All right, yeah. I have a couple. <laughs> I bring it back to economics. I have a couple. I have. I have one yes. clarifying question, and then, uh, as skeptical as the three of us f- sound of MMT, I'm curious to hear from each of us what we think the best argument for MMT might be. From what from what we've oh, covered one. today, written down. But so my first question: we we <laughs> okay. we talked a little bit about like redistribution and like taxing the wealthy and uh, redistributing to the bottom, essentially like skimming off the top, bringing it back to the bottom and kind of keeping that cycle going. And it sounds like, like I'm pretty sure we all agree just based on like 
successful business people and entrepreneurs attract money to themselves, right? And and this is what creates our 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 higher class of business owners that end up being mm-hmm. famous by their their own names just for being rich dudes, right? Okay, clarify. Yes, please. Can I pause yeah. you there and ask a question? What do you what do you mean by they attract? Well, I, they attract wealth by creating enough value for a customer base to pay for it. That's all I'm saying. Okay. And then, and then I would say part of a key component of that is they invest their capital. They're the capital that invests in other businesses and helps create wealth, not just for themselves, but for, for for other. It's not a zero sum companies. Yeah. This is good. That's where real wealth creation this yeah. is yeah. <laughs> having the capital to invest. This is good yeah. clarification. And I think I was missing that factor because I was I was about to just ask an open ended question of you two and just ask, do you do we think trickle down works? Um yeah, and I think it need that that term is needs rebranding. No, um, that's fair, but, <laughs> but but it's the term right now. So that's that's all I'm using. And I think I understand trickle down enough. Yeah, no, 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 for sure. I don't mean that as a criticism of you or yeah, yeah. But but um yeah, I think uh another metaphor for it would be like a rising tide raises all ships, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like actual like we just said, like wealth is created one by providing a good or service that is of value to people that they're willing yep. to mm-hmm. spend money on it. If you're good at that, you can accumulate enough resources to to have like the capital stock to then invest in other businesses that you can profit from right. and other people. And can this profit creates from. like the angel investor. And from class, there, you employ right. people. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. This this is a big reason why I am such a big fan of deregulation because it helps the little man have access to creating wealth through business. Like if you look at American history between like the end of the civil war and like the world wars, it was, I mean, some people I've will argue that it was like the greatest growth in recorded history as far as like just in general, the wealth of everyone being improved. I mean, there was limited amounts of laws, limited amount of regulation and as you have more red tape and hoops to jump through and more government contracts and more uh, weird, I don't really mind tax loopholes that much, but like complex tax code and uh, whatever, bureaucracy, it makes it really difficult for people to start a business. It makes people dif- it makes it difficult for people mm. to understand how to mm-hmm. save on their taxes. And like simplifying everything is required to really make the in quote trickle down idea work in in my opinion, mm-hmm. like there's something missing, like the elites i don't, I don't even want to call them elites because i don't I don't think they're elites, <laughs> but they they have resources to navigate the complex system, yes, that has been sure. created, yes so. I'll- that's why, like, just printing tons of money and handing it to poor people doesn't do anything. Because they're going to spend it, and the people who have the resources to get they're around the spend things, it, they're just the, the okay. people that have the wealth and have made the valuable. 
that, that have made the, the institutions that have value. So until there's some sort of shift that teaches or encourages or promotes, in quote, poor people to create wealth, they're just going to give huh. it right back to the wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the way to do that is to, is to remove the red tape and, red the, bureaucracy tape and the bureaucracy and the and burdensome like that. regulations yeah. that make it difficult for people to start their own businesses yeah. or, or support Even, themselves. This is, and, this is, yeah. you want to talk about shower thoughts the other day? I was, I was taking a shower, <laughs> shower and I was thought. sitting there thinking, I was like, man, I need a haircut. And then I started thinking like, man, how stupid is it that you have to go to school and get a license and pay all this money to cut hair? Mm. And I was thinking like, imagine how many people that are in poor communities that have a passion and a talent for cutting hair that could tomorrow be cutting hair out of their house, probably kick ass at it and start making money, but they can't. There are loads of examples of that. Yeah. Especially actually in minority mm. communities. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where exactly. they're completely restricted from. There's, there's these huge barriers to entry that make it really difficult for, mm-hmm. um, for folks to, for, and this is like an economic term, it sounds derogatory, I suppose, but it's not meant to be, mm-hmm. but like low skilled workers right. have a harder time of breaking into mm-hmm. certain industries because there's this artificial barrier of like the licensing is yep, one example exactly. um, that's expensive and time consuming and uh, and complicated yeah. in some cases. And it and it keeps certain folks out hmm. of that industry. Um, there's actually like a whole libertarian movement to mm-hmm. have reform yeah. in that particular area because it would unleash like so many, like so much innovation and so many entrepreneurs who mm-hmm. have a lot to offer, but they are literally held back mm, because yeah. of regulation. Oh, that makes Do me you smile. Think, I'm happy. So I, I, I have a paper yeah. that admittedly I've not read yet. I was planning on digging it up for this for this episode i haven't gotten to it if i find it i will share it for the show notes and share it with you guys because i heard about it on a podcast and the podcast it's um was talking about this economic paper called the fading american dream and essentially the the study was comparing 30 year olds today um like measuring the likelihood that 30 year olds today are making more than their parents did when they were 30 years old and in 1970, mm-hmm. that percentage likelihood that you were earning, earning more than your parents was at 90%. And in, I think the paper was in 2019 or 2020, I'm not sure. But that is down to almost 50% according to their study. And do you, so do you think it's the, it's the regulation that's actually like causing that number to shrink if we accept those results? Are they measuring like the purchasing power of that I really, dollar? That's my question. Because like cost mm. of living, certainly, I I think cost of living, I mean, depending sure. on where you are. Right. But in certain communities like the Bay Area of California, cost of living, wages and cost of living have increased. But I think the, and I don't have the figures off the top of my head, but like not necessarily in a right. proportionate way. Right. Or like trying to live in a, like a middle I would class. Want- yeah. Lifestyle in California in the 70s was probably mm. well, the 70s were actually there's like recession. That's not a great time period to start <laughs> with, but like maybe the, you know, mid 80s or 
like early yeah, 2000s. Right. I think there was a better standard of living and quality of life and your sure. money went farther than it I would, certainly does. So I, I don't know the answer today. to that question again because I haven't read the paper yet, but I want to dig it up for us. Uh, I would I I would really want to assume that they took that into consideration, but I can't I can't speak to it. Well, I'm sure they like adjust, adjusted for At inflation least, right. and stuff. But right. Yeah, I'm just yeah. curious. Yeah. But so the the core of the question though, like it sounds like we're talking about like uh, like unfair or repressing types of regulation is causing that decline. I I think that's part of it. The other part of it it has to be cultural in some sense in that there's not really a push or an understanding for specifically like poor communities that they are capable mm. of bigger things. Mm. I mean, the truth is you have poor communities of people that never leave their town or, you know, Henning, you're probably familiar with this, but like the idea that, you know, you've got CNAs or a great example, we won't go CNA route, we'll go mm-hmm. like farm tech route. I've got a buddy who's a pharmacist and he says there's all these farm techs that have been farm techs for like 30 years and they're incredibly intelligent. They know every drug forward and backwards and interactions. And he's sitting there like you are more than capable of becoming a pharmacist. And he, you know, has talked to them and it's like, eh, it's like, Oh, I'm not smart enough. Or like, Oh, it's too late for me to be a pharmacist. And he's just sitting there like, you could go to pharmacy school and just like pass every class minus like maybe some of the, you know, physiology and stuff you'd have to study for. But like you already know like more than I do and I'm I'm the doctor. <laughs> sure. So it's like this this push of like farm tech like is a great position, but maybe it's not a good career or like people that are CNAs for years and years and years, like trying to encourage people, not to disparage people that are CNAs, but to encourage people. Right. To like use that as a as a base to get the hours you need oh, and some basic understandings and figure out if you even like being in a medical sure. setting and then encourage them to go. So there's just not the or, the, or something the, like that. the encouragement, or there's not like people aren't given the juice to like yeah go like go chase it yeah. down go get yeah, it. Because honestly, yeah. like you're you're almost describing my life in a way like I'm a CAD technician at the refinery in Laurel mm-hmm. and I'm just hitting the point where it's like. Damn it, if I want to do anything else here, I need an engineering degree. But I haven't acted on that yet. Mm. And that's that's pretty much what you're describing. Right. And 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 now and but I know your character, right? You probably are going to get to a point where maybe say you've capped out at what you're able to sure. earn at your business. You then have to make a decision, am I happy with this? I would say for you probably not because you you know mm-hmm. you're capable of more, right? So then you go to the next step and you say, okay, for me to make more in this position, I need to now pursue Mm, a degree. mm. Then you have to ask yourself, is that something what I want to do? Maybe not. Now I know you're interested in podcasting and editing. Now you can look at that and say, is there potential for me to make more than I could at my current job through this new means? And we're young enough that there's no... There's no problem with dropping what you're doing and switching I over think, to podcasting. I think the world... Like if that's mm, a viable... I think the digital world going forward is not even going to start caring about, like, we're young enough to actually make that pivot, to bring back the pivot word. Like, 
I think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think not necessarily. As long as, as, long as people in our generation are keep up our our neuroplasticity, like I, I think we're gonna find people in our generation when we're like sixty and seventy, still chasing down what we want to chase down because of the way we grew up mm-hmm. in the digital age where we have access to so much flipping information and education Mm -hmm. even free on youtube like it's all there for us just like it's right for the youtube you yeah yeah hella youtube what (laughs) but but that i mean now to tie all this we've been talking about because i'm juiced up on this like i really truly want to see everyone succeed but like people need to know that you have to work Mm -hmm. to succeed but this goes back in the mmt like there are so many good ways to help decrease or I guess increase the wealth of, of poor communities. There's so much innovation that can be done for less money. So the idea that like it's good to just print money and pump it into the economy and that's the solution to everything, I think that's kind of the libertarian mindset is like throwing money at every problem is not the solution. Well, and also um, one, I want to circle back to what Henning was saying yeah. before, but I think to respond to what you've just said, Another problem with the MMT or sort of like a fallacy that it's built upon is the idea that that central planners have a good sense of how most efficiently and productively to spend mm-hmm. that money. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the history of that is pretty much any government, yes, certainly our own, yes, they don't spend it wisely. No, they do There's not. There's massive amounts of waste, fraud, and abuse. We can look at the last what five mm. COVID packages, like. So hmm. much fucking waste. So the idea that like the government can just print as much money as they want. They don't have to worry about inflation because they'll tax people that what magically won't have an impact on productivity or GDP, which won't in turn cause more inflation. And the government can just redistribute the money hmm. efficiently and there won't be any waste because they know how to pick winners and, lo- and losers is just I feel like it's just like a joke built on a joke built on a joke and it's just yeah and again i think it's more of a political tool because it just fits conveniently mm-hmm. this one political narrative and ideology sure. um and it's used you know and then there are certain economists who can kind of put their rubber stamp on some like ridiculous progressive proposal and they can say an economist supports it right. but henning to respond to your initial question i think that broad trends the world and certainly the western world and certainly the united states is far wealthier today than mm. we were sure. decades okay. ago than we were a decade ago and the trajectory is still up yeah um so like that i think is an important thing mm. to keep in mind yeah. and then i think in terms of like you know <laughs> sort of i think to really answer your original question like it it depends on industry it depends on community you know um Mm -hmm. yeah like my father always talked he my father was a general contractor and he's watched that Uh, industry mm -hmm. change and like that Mm -hmm. labor market change and in many ways it's been sort of wages there have been depressed because of an influx in cheap labor Mm -hmm. and in part Mm. that problem is companies exploiting cheap migrant labor that 
they can pay below sure. the market value mm-hmm. because these people yeah. are undocumented. And it's a shame that one, those people are basically taken advantage of. And and then two, it displaces people who once made a career and could like maybe buy a home and maybe buy a vacation home that like mm-hmm. my that used to be the mm-hmm. normal at one point in time. But that entire labor market has been totally disrupted that you can't earn that wage anymore. Right. Because there's tons of people who are willing to work for below the market value for a whole host of reasons. And I don't mean to imply that that's either, you know, that that the jobs are there for those people is either good or bad. But like but that but that is just an economic reality of what has changed that particular industry Mm -hmm. and why those those jobs no longer do pay what they used to. They don't provide the same quality of life that they used to be able to provide. Yeah, totally. Um, but that's specific and you can't really apply that yeah. to other industries. Yeah, it's, or it's hard to make a broad stroke out of it. So yeah, you're definitely pointing out where my question was yeah. like, yeah. assuming this is true, is there a single cause for what they might be trying to measure? But that, I think that's that, also, can I, that's also like economists always joke that, that that's always the response is, well, yeah. it depends because <laughs> there's totally. just so many factors that it's very economics is a weird ass science, man. And <sighs> it is weird. <laughs> and not to <laughs> oversimplify the MMT, but like it seems to be with MMT <laughs> that the the answer that they're providing is quite literally like it doesn't matter if it's a complex, multifaceted issue across multiple demographics. If you just throw money, here's the panacea. Oh, into the system yeah, everything right. will be better yeah mm-hmm. and going and you know you talk about the green new deal and now that i've learned about mmt you know literally like my question when people talk about like the paris accord and and green new deal it's like or the st- covid stimulus is like oh how are we going to pay for this and then you have politicians that are like well we're going to do this and this and this and then they start dancing around it but in reality like progressive policy i think the answer is just like the the politicians are dancing mm-hmm. around what the answer is and and the answer is we're going to pay for this with, with the money just incurring huge debts and those yeah. debts don't matter yeah. according to exactly. that theory exactly. yeah exactly and i think uh covid like most crises has totally pushed the overton window as you like to say torna mm-hmm. and it's sort of normalized these exorbitant price tags where now the Republicans counter offer to Biden's 1.9 trillion stimulus plan is 600 billion. And that sounds mm. reasonable, mm. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. and like, and like, it's that's been a like a rec- ton more than within recent history. <laughs> like, been after the <laughs> recession <laughs> in recent history, <laughs> annual deficits have been less than 600 billion. Yeah, it's insane. It's a huge <laughs> amount of money. And like I said, we've already spent three trillion. There's mm-hmm. an extra trillion just sitting somewhere that'll mm-hmm. conveniently go, you know. Another one point nine trillion. Right. What's I mean, if Green Dune Deal stuff happens, what is that like four trillion? Oh my gosh. And then we pe- should have an entire episode breaking that down when that like really comes to mm-hmm. the forefront again, because that is it's mind boggling to me that that is becoming something that's like seriously talked about Gotta or control taken those seriously because when yeah. that first came out every i mean most serious people were it was laughable because some of the, the ideas that are proposed in there are like <laughs> you know 
we're only going to travel by train and we're going to retrofit every single building throughout the yeah. entire country. It's like, how the fuck yeah, do you do right. any of that? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, and of it's course just, it's like it's goofy. It's goofy. By 2050 and you're like, uh, <laughs> all right. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> moral of the story. Oh, actually, you said we, we wanted to real quick. We rapid, should talk about something rapid that fire. could be I want to know MMT. what you think the yeah. best oh, yeah. argument for modern monetary theory is. Kat, you start. No, okay. No, 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 no. Torn okay, okay. <laughs> I okay. don't have one. This is not, this is not, I didn't hear any, like, arguments about why it's good. This is something that I just thought of myself. If MMT is true, right, and you can just print, money and dump it into the economy and everything's dandy but you have to be in control of your own currency that is a really good reason for all of these european countries to become sovereign mm. oh that is a great good get your own currency boom ditch mmt EU. supports brexit now yeah. that's a mind bender yes <laughs> brexit is is that's MMT. actually that's, that's great that's that's a hot take Dang. and you should tweet Dang. that yeah. <laughs> I love the that's way, insane. but I was like, that's sick. I was like, everyone could just become their own country and be sovereign. I love the way that you took that. I love that. Yes, the you European took that bank. plus one day. Because literally, it's like I was going to say, I think the most compelling part about MMT is the, the fact that a, a country needs to be sovereign over its own currency and carry no debt in other currency. Like, as long as we're all dealing in dollars, yeah. this might be a place to experiment with. But you just plus one that. And just went straight into like, yeah. yeah, this is why we should decentralize, which also gets back to cryptocurrency, which <laughs> at the end of the episode, yeah. um, Kat, we've given you a couple minutes, a couple seconds more like, but oh. have you, have you thought seconds. of, oh boy, <laughs> what, okay. I say, what do you think is the best? I'm not saying, what do you think is good? You could, you could rank choice these from like negative 10 to negative one. Just give me negative one. <laughs> yeah um i guess what do i think is yeah. the most compelling part yep. of the mmt argument um we know you don't agree with it and we have more th- i know i know <laughs> i'm not trying to be an asshole i just like, <laughs> I like I don't really i mean i guess it's um i guess a, a good selling point is that uh you can you can avoid defaulting on your debt by simply printing mm-hmm. more money. Which is... So the- you can sort of create this virtuous <laughs> right. circle, I yes. suppose. Yes, Where you spend and print and spend and print, yeah. I and heard, there are no consequences. There, there I, sorry, are, Torna. I heard the... Uh, man, I, I heard that cycle, that virtuous cycle you just described, like, create <laughs> tax, create tax. Like, I heard that described as creating, like, the fiscal, the fiscal speed limit... And it's like, like helping them just determine like what what's the best way to go forward without slipping on the ice and like I don't know. Speed limit mm-hmm. is yeah, quite the yeah, term yeah. for it, right? Risk. Hmm. When I envision that virtuous cycle, I picture someone shoveling in a circle, and they just eventually like dig themselves down <laughs> it's like, you know, okay, like you op- they just bury mm. themselves eventually it's like you open your front door and there's snow you start shoveling it and throwing it into the yard but then as you start to move forward shoveling you start throwing it behind you and you turn around <laughs> and you have to get back in your house You're like god damn it yeah. oh, you start shoveling and throwing it behind you and back and forth back and forth but 
with with MMT, there are two statements that are technically true. One, it is true that a country slash government that prints its own money cannot default on a loan. We're not talking about <laughs> consequences. And it is true that you can stop any inflation by soaking it up or soap, soaking up the extra dollars via taxes. I don't think that's true. If you taxed enough and took money out of circulation? Might not be one well, to one. Well, all right. I guess, I guess. Um, it's like a math we equation. Haven't, we ha- that's a that's theory the and we limit. haven't had, we don't right? have a real world case study of it. So maybe, yeah. Maybe, it's maybe. It's a fair theory. Huh. Anyway. But I don't know. Me neither. All I, I mean, know. I why didn't, I mean, there are other. I got to be honest, no. the whole MMT thing. I'm thinking of like case studies oh. like Zimbabwe, you know, yeah. with like insane inflation you know why i think i would think it gets to a point hyperinflation Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's the other sort of subtle nuance of what maybe would make mmt workable in a fantasy world there's it, it relies on very particular circumstances right and i think in cases where you have like runaway hyperinflation, I don't think you can't rein that in just by taxing people that are already like desperately poor and their well, they don't, currency has absolutely well, no value. Exactly, they'll give you all their currency because everything's black market. It's you could tax, well, and then and yeah. there's the other unintended consequence. Right, what happens when your market moves underground? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which a lot of heavy regulation and taxation would force it to this isn't this isn't a helpful thing to say to help wrap up here but i i just gotta say with the mmt (laughs) that i'm kind of in this uh, in this spot like as far as an emotional argument goes for mmt maybe if i want to call it that um, i'm kind of in the spot where like in my life and what i'm reading right now is kind of putting me in this philosophical spot that literally everything that we think is important is only important because we agree that it's important. Kind of like that social contract theory. Like mm-hmm. we all just said that the dollar was valuable. So now it is. And that's I, I like to, to simplify it like that feels really gross considering we just spent so much time talking about it. But as far as the emotional argument goes, I'm, I'm kind of in that philosophical space where I can entertain MMT and be like, seems legit at least as far as yeah it might work if we all agree it works like i heard the argument that expecting inflation actually causes inflation and it's like what we hear about the great depression about the the stock market crash was you think Mm -hmm. your stock value is going to go down so you rush and pull it out and you pulling it out causes the the price to drop right and now like everyone's making a mad dash and that actually causes it so like maybe in the opposite way Inflation only happens if we all believe inflation is going to happen or that it's a problem. Well, that's an argument for um, I was actually that's funny that you raised that because I was reading a journal piece today that was sort of arguing that like that's one of their arguments was that that's kind of really the role of the Fed. Is to sort of like in their in the last several decades their goal of of keeping inflation around two percent 
like the very act of them stating that as a goal and trying mm-hmm. to pursue that helps create the expectation that that's where inflation will stay and right. that in turn helps ensure that inflation right. actually stays there so you're yeah so like you're totally right that like for sure perception is a big part it's very of it goofed. it's very weird yeah there's definitely a certain there's a there there's a element of almost incomprehensible cooperation well that's within, the marketplace yeah exactly spontaneous cooperation it's pretty cool it's fantastic and that's why these things are hard to manage centrally mm-hmm. because is that totally the right is. way to yeah. phrase that? Yeah. Like, for, it's hard for a central planner mm-hmm. to manage these things because there are so many independent actors yeah. with their own information and they're facing their own incentives that it's impossible to get a handle on all of that and ensure that all those actors are moving in the same direction that you wow. want them to move in. Mm-hmm. Less regulation, decentralized. It's, I mean, this is why so many ex-military guys are such phenomenal business people. Is because all those principles of cooperation and strategy don't just translate yeah, to war. Decentralized command to and like understanding decentralized command, everything like it all translates into the market and business. And be wary when someone says, "Hey, you can have as much money as you want with no consequences." It's a cliche, but it's true. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Cheers to this, fam. I loved this. That was fun. This was fun. I I love talking stuff like this. Business and economics and all sorts of goodies. Cheers. Thank you for joining us on the Whiskey Bench. If you would do us a favor, please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about it on social media. You can join us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest, all at Whiskey Bench Pod. And don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Remember, always drink responsibly. And cheers to a fulfilled life with all its beauty. Mm-hmm.